please stand in body or in spirit for the reading of the gospel. Continuing our reading from Matthew chapter 25, today beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? When was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the gospel of grace. Thanks be to God. There is no missing Jesus' point. The punchline of the parable, if you will, is plain as day. Whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. Unlike some of Jesus' other sayings, the meaning of this one is pretty clear. Feed the hungry, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, visit the prisoner. Imagine a Christianity in which these are the sayings we display on our bumper stickers and our billboards and our Facebook posts. What a different world that might be. For those of us who have been damaged or beaten down by religion or by legalism, a parable like this is a breath of fresh air, a reminder that what God requires of us is to do justice and love mercy, a confirmation that what matters most is how we treat people, 
that at the end of the day, God is not going to judge us by how well we could recite the catechism or how fervently or eloquently we've defended the faith. God is going to ask whom we've taken care of and whom we've ignored. But I do not think this parable is telling us that what we believe doesn't matter. In fact, I think what we believe about God is central to this parable's message. So I want to suggest this parable is important to our formation, not only because it tells us how to treat our neighbor, but because of what it suggests we believe. I want us to look at the theology of this text. What does it teach us about God? Not just what does it teach us about how to behave, but what does it say about who God is? In order to examine this story's theology, let's back up to the opening line. Quote, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered around him. The story is set up in such a way that we expect to learn a thing or two about God's glory, God's kingship, God's reign over the nations. But what happens next is unexpected because we learn that God's glory is revealed not residing on a throne but manifested in acts of charity, not among kings but among paupers. Interestingly, the people recognize the king now that he's seated on the throne, but before, when it counted, they did not even know God was in their midst. We learn that God often moves through this world incognito, unrecognizable to anyone who expects a crown. God is less interested in power and prestige and praise and far more interested in hanging out with those who are troubled and alone. Sounds a bit like the man we call Jesus, doesn't it? One of the ways we evaluate our theology, our understanding of God, is to discern whether the God we have discovered in the text matches up with the God we find in Christ. Does the God in the parable align with the God we find in Christ? Well, yes. In this parable, we find a God who takes up residence with the people of this world, enters their suffering, shares their physical and emotional needs, a God who is right there among the neediest, the least of these, a God whose incarnational presence is of utmost importance. In fact, according to the parable, if you don't know the incarnational presence of God, it turns out you don't know God at all. This brings us to God's wrath in the parable. Wrath, our favorite subject. To continue our theological quest, let's take a serious look at what God's wrath in this story has to say about who God is. It's worth noting that in the parable, God's judgment and God's wrath are reserved for those who did not join in solidarity with the oppressed. God's judgment and wrath are reserved for those who did not join in solidarity with the oppressed. So to understand God's judgment in this way challenges the very meaning of Christian salvation. 
Because according to the parable, at the end of time, it turns out God is most concerned with how you lived in the here and now as it relates to your suffering neighbor. The end of the age is not an escape from this world's sorrows and tribulations. It is a clearer look at them. The end of time is not first an end to suffering, but an exposure to it. A fierce, unblinking look at those who are sick and imprisoned and hungry and naked. The end of the age is not an escape, but a reckoning. Not a sweet by and by, but a startling revelation that shocks both the sheep and the goats. Neither group fully understood the present time. So the concern of the parable is not eternity. It's focused on unveiling the now to which we have been blind. This suggests that salvation is not a ticket into heaven for you as an individual. What it means to be saved is to become a participant in God's care for and redemption of the world. To be saved is to be set free from the bondage of preoccupation with self and liberated into the love of neighbor. So that God is less concerned with saving you from some fiery future ordeal and more concerned with waking you up to the here and the now, helping you see God's presence in the face of the hungry person right beside you. God is concerned with saving everyone from hell on earth. And if you've missed that, you've missed knowing and understanding God's very nature. God wants you and I to be on that mission too, for that's what it means to participate in God's kingdom. The kingdom is not up ahead. It's right here. It's right now. It's in the relationships we have with our neighbors. Christ's presence is not far away in heaven, but right here in our midst in the face of in the faces of those who suffer. The king is not best understood as glory or a throne, but as a God who resides among the poor. I think this theology of God and God's kingdom is important. Now, I could spend the rest of this sermon getting you worried about whether you are a sheep or a goat. Whether you've recognized Christ among the poor or whether you've missed it, I could spend this sermon trying to get you to change your behavior and be better at noticing and serving the oppressed. Maybe that would be a worthwhile use of a sermon. I could use the rest of this sermon to talk about our Christmas time charity coming up. And we could think together about whether giving away our money to good causes is the same thing as being with the poor and the oppressed and knowing them by name. But today, I want to say this to you instead. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Today, I want to focus not on whether we are doing enough, but on who we understand God to be. I want us to remember that right now, In this very moment, we are being saved, and God has not forgotten us. 
Right now, in this moment, Christ is in our midst, and we are learning to love him as we learn to love our neighbor. Right now, in this moment, we are experiencing God's kingdom. Right now, in this moment, God is with us. If you suffer, God is especially with you. And when you move towards others who are suffering, God is extra, extra close. By being who you are, by offering yourself in relationship to others, by caring for the poor and the outcast and the prisoner, you, my friends, are finding God. You are citizens of a different kingdom, and it shows. By loving one another, you have loved God. By experiencing grief, you have brushed shoulders with the divine. By letting your heart break open in empathy for others, you have opened your heart to God. By knowing God's children by name, you have welcomed eternity itself into your soul. Hear these words of blessing from Jan Richardson. You who are yourselves a blessing, who know that to feed the hungering is to bless, and to give drink to those who thirst is to bless, who know the blessing in welcoming the stranger, and giving clothes to those who have none, who know to care for the sick is blessing, and blessing to visit the prisoner. May the blessing you have offered now turn itself toward you to welcome you and to embrace you at the feast of the blessed. Amen.